turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're in Galatians chapter 5 today as we near the end of our sermon series that we have entitled Being Made New. And the idea behind this sermon series is this, that the world around us is so crazy right now and we can't control the things that happen in our own country or in our own capital or even in our own community. But as Christians, we do have some control over our response to all the craziness between factions and family and friends. And so in this sermon series, we're asking questions like this. We're asking questions like, how can I become all God wants me to be in the midst of this crazy time that we find ourselves? We're asking questions like that. We're asking questions like, how can I get to the place where I am being made new? And we've learned in this sermon series that there are four things, four concepts that we really have to get a grip on if we want to biblically be made new. And I'll warn you if you're tired of hearing these uh, or if you're anxious to hear them again and want to write them down. This is the last time we'll review these. We'll have something a little different in the sermon next week. But there are four ideas that we have learned in this sermon series that we really have to get a grip on if we're going to be made new biblically. And the first one is this, the flesh, right? We have learned that the flesh is inside of us. Your translation may call it the sinful nature. The Apostle Paul calls it sin living in me. And we've learned that our flesh is vestiges or traces of the old person we were before we were in Christ Jesus. The flesh is that part of us that has not yet been made new. And we saw in Romans 7 and verse 23 that our flesh wages war against us. Whenever we try to do what's right, whenever we try to do anything godly, whenever we try to do anything spiritual, our flesh wages war against us. So our flesh fights our being made new. Second concept, God's law. We've learned that God's law, which is holy and righteous and good, shows us what it looks like to be made new. That's the target. We can be made new in a lot of different ways, but if we're going to biblically be made new, the way biblically we're made new is going to be a reflection of God's law, which is a reflection of God's character. We're made in God's image. And so if we're going to be made new biblically, it's going to look like God's law. So that's the second concept. We have to understand the target, what we're moving toward, that we would look more and more like what God describes in his law. Concept three, our new heart. We saw in Romans 7 and verse 22 that we now delight in God's law and that we have a desire to do what is right because we've been given a new heart. We saw in Jeremiah where God takes away our heart of stone and he gives us a soft heart that is that has desires to walk in God's way. So our new heart gives us the desire to be made new. And then number four, the indwelling Holy Spirit. We've looked at the Spirit a lot. We had a whole sermon on Romans chapter 8. The indwelling Holy Spirit enables us to do what is right. The Spirit is what enables us to walk in God's ways. And so the indwelling Spirit gives us the power to be made new. 
And so we've learned about these things that our flesh fights being made new, that God's law shows us what it looks like to be made new, that our new heart gives us the desire to be made new, and the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us the power to be made new. And we're going to see all those things at work today in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 to the end of the chapter. So be watching for how Paul talks about those elements as I read from God's word beginning in Galatians 5 and verse 13. Hear now God's word. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for sharing these concepts with us that we might learn to walk in your ways and to be made new. I pray that you would be with us today that you would help us to see how to fight our flesh and how our flesh uses our freedom to lead us into sin. And so I pray that you would help us to be on guard against this tendency of our flesh and that you would help us to use the things that you have given to us in order to fight our, fight our flesh that we might be made new. Father, I pray that you'd be willing to do all this even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Paul talks a lot here in Galatians chapter 5 about the concept of freedom. You know, freedom is talked about a whole lot today, and I believe that we have different ideas of what we mean when we use that word freedom. But for understanding Galatians chapter 5, the right question for us to ask is, what does Paul mean when he talks about freedom? What's he talking about when he's referring to this freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? He began talking about it all the way back at the beginning of this chapter. Galatians 5 and verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set you free. And then he's been having a discussion for several verses here. And basically what Paul is saying 
is that we are no longer a slave to the law. And he says that we don't have to keep the law, we don't have to observe the requirements of the law in order to be justified, verse 4 says, in order to be made right before God. That our standing before God does not require perfect obedience to his law. And more specifically, he's talking about circumcision. And he's saying that the folks at the church in Galatia, they don't have to be circumcised in order to be made right with God. That basically, in more general terms, they are free from human performance when it comes to establishing their own righteousness and being acceptable to a holy God. He's been arguing throughout the book that Jesus has done everything necessary to make you right with God. And that it is our faith in him and his finished work on the cross that makes us right with God. But now Paul in verse 13 is concerned and he warns us about a way that our flesh uses the good news of the gospel in order to lead us into sin. You see it there in verse 13. He says you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What's Paul talking about? What is this opportunity that the good news of the gospel gives to our flesh to lead us into sin? What's he referring to? Well, I'll tell you what he's talking about. Because when we begin to really hear and to meditate on and to think about and to marinate in and to really get the gospel and for it to really make a difference in our lives, then our flesh, that old part of us that we've seen leads us into sin in that way we looked at in James chapter 1. Our flesh begins to say things to us like this. Our flesh begins to say, you can commit this sin and you'll be forgiven because of the gospel. You can go ahead and do this thing that you know is wrong because Jesus has already paid for all of your sin, past, present, and future. And your standing with God does not depend on what you do. You can't do anything to make God love you any more than he already does because he loves you based on what Jesus has done. And you can't do anything to make God love you any less. All these things are true in the gospel. And so your flesh will tell you, so go ahead and sin. It's already paid for. God loves to, loves to forgive. You love to sin. So go ahead. It's all right. There's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And our flesh uses the good news of the gospel as an opportunity to lead us into sin. It's a powerful argument. And we must remember what we've learned in order to fight our flesh when it uses this opportunity in this way. Look at how Paul uses those concepts we talked about. He's already talked about the flesh, number one, right? Because he's saying, don't let your flesh use your freedom as an opportunity to lead you into sin. The next place he goes, God's law, verse 14, the very next verse. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying, hey, remember what the target is. Remember what being made new looks like. It looks like loving one another, serving one another, not indulging in your own desire, 
So Paul uses that concept of God's law that we've been talking about all along. He, he refers to the Spirit a lot in this passage and to our new heart. Look at the next verse. Verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he begins this discussion of the Spirit. He'll refer to the Spirit seven times in the next nine verses because the Holy Spirit is a major part of this answer to how we fight our flesh and overcome the temptation that our flesh will put before us. We'll talk about that more in a second. And you see the effects of our new heart here as well. Look at verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So when you want to do what's right, when you want to move in that direction, what is the reason you have that desire? Why do you want to do what is good? Why do you want to do what is godly? Who knows? What is it? We have a new heart that gives us the desire. That's exactly right. Uh, Romans 7 verse 22 says, We delight in God's law, that I want to do what is right. We have those desires because we have a new heart. Now, we don't have the power to carry it out in ourselves, but this desire to do what is right comes from a new heart. So we see that Paul uses these elements that we've been talking about to do battle with our flesh. Now, what I want to do in sort of a case study is to use those things, as Paul does here, to help us to battle our flesh. What does it look like to use these elements like Paul is doing in order to fight our flesh when it tempts us in this way? And this is what I would say about that. That if the flesh is using our freedom in Christ to lead us into sin, then what our flesh is doing is this. It's calling us to focus on the pardon of the gospel, to focus on the forgiveness that comes in the gospel. But our flesh wants us to forget about the person who purchased our pardon and the position that we have because of our pardon. Now, I know that's a lot of P's, but let's look at those two things. The person who purchased our pardon and the position that we now have because of that pardon. Let's look at those two things and see how we use these elements to fight our flesh. First, the person who purchased our pardon. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we've received pardon. But how did that happen? Who's the person who purchased that? Well, I think first of God the Father, who before all things, before the earth was created, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1 says, he set up all things so that they would fall into place so that you would be adopted into his family, so that you would be a part of the family of God. Ephesians 1 says God did that before the foundation of the world, that in love he predestined all things so that you would be adopted into his family. I think of John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that God the Father, in order to have you in his family, in order to purchase your pardon, sent his son. He empties heaven of its most glorious treasure, and he sends his own son into this world. Now how about Jesus the son, the one who worked to purchase our pardon? Jesus 
was in heaven where he's worshipped and adored. He's in heaven where everybody does what he tells them to do. Everything works the way that it's supposed to work. And he is willing to leave the perfection of heaven where he's worshipped and adored. And to come into this world to be born as a human baby. To be fed. To have his diapers changed. He was willing to empty himself of his omnipotence. Of his omniscience. Of his omnipresence. Even to this day he's restricted to one place because he's still in bodily form sitting at the right hand of God. That he chose to empty himself of so much of what it means to be God, Philippians 2 tells us. And he lived in this world where he was mistreated and misunderstood, lived a life in poverty. Lived a life of hardship. Taking the punishment that we deserved. Living the life in perfect obedience to his father that we should have lived. Dying the death that we deserved for our sin, all to purchase our pardon. Now, I know there's a third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about him in just a moment. But let's just focus on that work of the Father and of the Son who have loved us so well. What is the proper response to what they have done for us? Well, 1 John 4 and verse 19 tells us that we love him because he first loved us. That the proper response to the love that has been shown to us is to love God back. That's what we're called to do. That would be the natural response. And that love that we have for God that comes from seeing his great love for us changes the way that we look at the world and the way that we lean into the world. I think the place that shows that best is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. We read there, For the love of Christ controls us. The NIV says that it compels us, that this love of Christ is compelling. It's controlling over our lives. He says, Because we have concluded this, the NIV says, because we are convinced that one has died, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That as we see God's great love for us, it compels us, it controls us. That we begin to love him back. That we see his great sacrifice for us and we are willing to sacrifice the things that we want. That we give up our self-indulgence and our selfishness and our self-centeredness because of what we see he has done for us. I think the great English preacher John Bunyan put it very well. You may remember he was the nonconformist preacher in England who would not submit to the king uh, the king of England wanted to make the church of England to choose the priest, to choose the bishops, to write prayers that would be used in the service, and Bunyan was against that. He thought that Jesus was the only king and head of the church, and that the church should ordain its own leadership, that it shouldn't be something taught by the king, and so he was thrown in jail. He was thrown in prison. Torchlighters, we looked at some of this. We looked at John Bunyan. He writes, remember Pilgrim's Progress while he's in jail. And of course, there were others who opposed the king in that way as well, including the Anabaptists, right? They get thrown in jail too. So you got Bunyan and you got the Anabaptists in prison 
They could have their heads removed by the king at any point in time. He could execute a death penalty on them. And so as they spent that time in prison, they did the only thing that would logically be possible. They debated theology. That was supposed to be funny. All right. Tough crowd this afternoon. Still sleepy from losing. It's like you lost an hour of sleep last night or something. So they're debating this theology, and the Anabaptists say to Bunyan, Look, you cannot keep assuring people that God will love them no matter what. You can't tell them that God, that being acceptable to God is not dependent on their performance, because if you do that, then they won't perform. They'll just go do whatever they want to do. And of course, Bunyan's famous reply, no, no, a thousand times no, Bunyan said. Bunyan said, if you assure God's people of God's love, then they will do anything he wants them to do. Bunyan understood that seeing God's love for us, seeing the person who purchased our pardon, changes the way that we live into the world, breaks our hearts of that selfishness and self-centeredness and self-indulgence. One of the things we must use to fight our flesh is to see the love of God for us and the person who purchased our pardon. The second thing we need to do is to see our new position that we have from being in Christ Jesus. We the person who purchased our pardon, what about the new position that we have as a result of this pardon? As we talk to our flesh, as it talks to us and we talk back, and it says, go ahead and sin, it's already paid for. We have to say to our flesh, listen, I have a new position now. What you're asking me to do, that's not me anymore. I know you, flesh. You're the old me. That's the old person I was before I was in Christ Jesus. Right? We're going to say to our flesh, this is just vestiges, traces of the old me. This is the part of me that has not been made new, that is talking to me, that is encouraging me to do these things that are contrary to God's law, that are not consistent with the fruit of the Spirit. We will say things like 2 Corinthians 5 that we just looked at. If you keep going, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And we will remind our flesh of those kinds of things. And I will tell you what our flesh responds. I've heard the voice. I've heard it in my head. Our flesh comes back at us, and our flesh begins to say, Really? <laughs> You're a new creation in Christ? Huh. I'm not even really sure what that means. What does that even mean? I mean, look at you. You got the same body you had before? Wearing the same clothes? You have the same anger? You still have the same lusts? You still wrestle with the same impatience you still fight that same selfishness can you explain to me in what way you think you are a new creation in Christ Jesus we must learn to answer our flesh and to understand what our position is that we have in Christ the Bible teaches that when we were outside of Christ, when we were fallen creatures, separated from Him, 
that we were non posse, non picare. It's really important to use the Latin on your flesh. The flesh hates Latin. Thank you. That was another joke, right? Your flesh doesn't care about Latin. But we, the Bible teaches that we were non posse, non picare, that we were not able not to sin, that as a fallen creature, that even when we do good things that are, that are prescribed by God's law, we do them in the wrong manner, we do them for the wrong motives, that we want glory for ourselves instead of glory for God. And so in an unregenerate state, if we're not made new in Christ, we are non posse, non picare, we are not able not to sin. That's all we have the ability to do. So what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? What does that mean? Does it mean that we never sin? Does it mean that we don't struggle with those things that were in our life before that our flesh is accusing us of? Is, is that what it means? No, not at all. I think of 1 John 1 and verse 8 that tells us if we claim to be without sin, we're liars. That we are still going to sin even after we're in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be a new creature in Christ? Here's what it means. It means now in Christ Jesus that you are passe non picare, that you are able not to sin. That once you are in Christ Jesus, you have this ability to sin or not to sin. That's the freedom that Paul talks about here. That you were once not able to do anything but sin. You were a slave to sin and unrighteousness. And the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus is that you are now able to sin or able not to sin. That that's the, the power, that's the change that is within you. That we have this freedom now. That we're able not to sin. That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And if you've been with us in this sermon series, there is one thing that fights the flesh. There is one thing that enables us to overcome temptation. There is one thing that gives us the ability not to sin. Please don't break my heart, but tell me what that one thing is. It's the Spirit. Yes, thank you. You see the fight in there, that it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power, who enables us not to sin. It's not anything in me. It's God in me. It's his spirit that comes. And when the Holy Spirit shows us, hey, this is your flesh at work, when the spirit opens our eyes and says, look, this is a temptation that your flesh is bringing, the Holy Spirit does not then go on to say, and it's up to you to stop it. Good luck with that. Good luck fighting the flesh. It's not what he does. The Holy Spirit shows up and he says, here's your flesh, here's the temptation, but I'm here to help you. He's the helper. He's the one that Jesus promised would come and live inside of us. And he says, I'm here to help you. You are not helpless. And what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us, what he's made us aware of, he also gives us means to fight. Your flesh is going to tell you, you are not a new creation. You can't help it. God made you this way. It must be his fault. And we have to say, no, that is a lie. That is not true. God says in his word that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that the power of the resurrected Christ is living in me. 
We have to remember what God has provided for us, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Christ. And 1 John 4 and verse 4 tells us that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Listen, if you believe you are alone, then you've already lost the fight. If you believe you can't help it, then you've already lost the battle. But if by faith we affirm what the Bible says, if we say, I have read the Bible, and I see it says, if I'm in Christ, I am a new creation, and greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. This knowledge of who I am and what God provides gives me strength. And what we've learned gives us means to fight. And listen, if you don't take anything else away from this sermon series, I hope you at least take this away. The Christian life is a fight. You see it there in Galatians 5.17, don't you? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Martin Luther got it right in those 95 theses he nailed on the church house door at Wittenberg. Number one. The Christian life is a life of repentance. That all of our life as a Christian is recognizing our sins, seeing how we turn away from God and turning back to Him. The Christian life is a fight. Now next week we'll talk more about why we should fight this fight. Why we should do the hard work of being made new. And that'll be the last sermon in our sermon series. And we'll have Palm Sunday and Easter and focus on those things. But for this week, take this away. Do not let your flesh use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity for sin. Let's use these things that we've learned to fight against our flesh so that we might be made new. Let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you make us aware. Father, just forgive us. Sometimes we think that the Christian life is not a fight, that it's not a struggle. When we struggle, we think Christianity is not working with us. Thank you for being so honest with us that there's going to be struggle in the Christian life. Father, I pray that you would send that one and only thing that enables us to overcome our flesh. Father, send the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. I pray that you would come and that you would apply the finished work of Christ to our hearts that you would convict us of sin, that you would enable us to overcome our flesh, to turn back to the Father, that you would grow your fruit in us, that you would do those things that only you can do so that we might be people characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all the things that only you can do in us. Please come and do that for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand and sing together in the love of God.